Welcome to Beyond Religion. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lott. Uh, a lot's happened in a very short period of time, and so I think I will just uh, dive into it and catch you up in episode three right now. Okay, where do we start? It's only been two weeks since I announced I'm stepping down as senior pastor of the church where I've served for nearly 10 years. This declaration came with months and months of wrestling and questioning and talking with mentors and processing life and faith and the state of religion, months and months of feeling the surge of guilt for abandoning the work and the people of naming and battling ego and the powerful identity of filling this symbolic role in our culture and in people's lives. And also an acknowledging of a pattern of codependence that can attract certain kinds of helpers and rescuers to places like church. Months and months of the dearest friends patiently waiting for me to come to the decision that we all knew I'd come to, even though I really didn't know how in the world I'd get there. And y'all, after months and months and months, all of that settledness lasted for 30 minutes. I finally reached the place of total clarity, that place where it is more painful to stay than it is to take the leap. And for a full 30 minutes, I thought I knew what was becoming of my life. On the afternoon of August 2nd, I shared my intention to resign with the church's leadership team. I wanted to get it right. I wanted to make sure we honored the congregation's bylaws and protocols and some of their own tender history with clergy leaving. I wanted to bring in the deacons and share my letter verbally on August 6th before sending out a written letter. They'd suspected the day was coming because... Well, I'm me. I process this stuff out loud. I don't have a poker face. I haven't kept any secrets about my questions around religion as an institution. And I know I'm one of the lucky ones because they have not only been beautifully patient with me, but they've been amazingly gracious. For half an hour, I was confident in my plan. It had all come together. I would establish an LLC, and that would house my freelance work, apprenticing with a couple of organizations for consulting and coaching, and I had even planned to launch a crowdsourcing campaign to raise the support I need to be able to write a book. All of this dreaming assumed my family continued to live and delight in New Orleans as our home without any other changes. That's cute of me in retrospect. My youngest brother and his family had just moved here a month before. They bought a house in June and moved in in July. They were still unpacking boxes at that point. And that particular day was my niece's fifth birthday. So I left the leadership meeting with peace in my heart and settled spirit in my body, knowing that the hard choice had been made finally. And I knew that it was the right one. Y'all, let me underline this and put it in bold and italics one more time. Months and months of deliberation, well over a year. 
wrestling and discerning and questioning and asking, how might I be a person of spirit and even a faith leader without being a pastor in the church? I can remember sitting in this garden in London that used to be a church, St. Dunstan's in the East, and sitting in what would have been a pew in what would have been a sanctuary and watching all of the people mill in and out, some of them really enjoying it and maybe considering it even to be sacred space and others just smoking a cigarette on a break between whatever activities. And I wondered, is this what it is to be a congregation now? Is this church still serving a people? So I've been asking these questions a lot, I guess, all that to say. I thought maybe I had come to a landing place with them. And 30 minutes from the time I finally spoke the words out loud, I drove to my brother's new house and found my husband standing on the porch waiting for me. I knew, I knew instantly that he'd been offered a job in Macon, Georgia. I parked, walked up to him and said, I just quit my job. He said, well, I've just been offered one. We laughed and we hugged in the way people do when they're actually in total shock. And we walked into my niece's birthday party hand in hand without telling anyone that there was now another huge decision laying before us. I guess what got us to this point is not just restlessness, though that's a big part of it. It's not just asking what's the next thing, though that is an even bigger part of it. Part of my personal deliberation in these past months, though, has also been financial. And I share this not to be overly confessional, and my intention's not even really to be punitive towards any one people or place, but perhaps to normalize telling the truth about our lives in a time when it feels like there's so much performing and pretending. For clergy, I know that this is a common reality among us. Church budgets are shrinking, but staff needs remain the same. Compensation packages for a lot of small congregations aren't what they used to be, and cost of living raises are some of the first lines to be cut from budgets. Do you remember that Duke study? 90% of churchgoers attend 10% of the churches, and 10% of churchgoers attend 90% of the churches. That is a whole lot of buildings and budgets and bylaws to maintain. No one goes into church and nonprofit work to get rich. Clearly, that is a horrible idea, unless you're maybe Creflo Dollar or Joel Osteen, or you are prepared to have an expose docuseries created about you one day. Knowing it was time to get serious about putting our kids through college and someday retiring, maybe? My husband and I started considering that we might have to leave New Orleans sooner rather than later. It is, oh, it's a magical, wonderful city. And it's a city with a lot of problems. It's also a city with limited opportunity for job advancement when you have some pretty specific skill sets and degrees like my husband and I do. Even with all of that, I still didn't think we'd really move. I thought we were just considering ideas in the same way we are saying, should we paint the kitchen cabinets olive green? Though working up the nerve to close the door on this season of direct church work took me months and months and months. 
Whew, the decision to move to Macon felt like watching a time lapse of a sunflower growing from seed beneath soil to six feet tall in 30 seconds. No longer a curiosity or a possibility, we had some really rapid fire discernment to do, and we did it with our kids, the four of us. We talked about it openly, and we knew the rightness of the opportunity outweighed any fear of leaving yet another home we love and the city where we've lived and raised our children for the past 10 years. There is nowhere like New Orleans. I'm confident of that. It's not an exaggeration. Even though the city has changed and priorities from the city are so much more focused on giving tourists a great experience than residents a high quality of life, even though everybody and their mom and them wants to remind you that you're not a lifelong New Orleanian and never will be, even though we have repeatedly replaced tires, Patch tires, plug tires, repaired struts, replaced arms connected to wheels because the potholes are pervasive and violent and unavoidable. Even though political drama is embarrassing and the state of Louisiana is about to elect a governor who will make Ron DeSantis look like a centrist, even though the disparity between rich and poor here is deplorable, even though New Orleans remains at the very top of the list of most incarcerated cities in the world per capita, There's just nowhere else like New Orleans. And I'm grateful to have one more school year in this town. Maybe the Saints will take it all the way to the Super Bowl this year. One more carnival season as locals with wigs and glitter and friends and marching bands. Plenty more weeks that feel like summer for swimming pools and snowballs. Clearly, you can already hear that I'm making a pro-con list. I have been for two weeks. It was only two weeks ago yesterday that our family agreed Nathan needed to say yes to this new job. It was only two weeks ago today. This is Monday. I keep saying I'm going to get these podcasts up on Sunday, and there's nobody really holding me to it, so here we are. So two weeks ago today, Monday, that he formally accepted. Already he's in Macon, and the rest of us are here. And that is wild. So while it's shocking and fast and feels like a whirlwind, it also isn't, you know, On a deep level, I've known that this was a shifting year in my life, even if I didn't know how, even if I didn't realize it was going to affect all of us and not just me. It's often how things go, isn't it? We're so much more interconnected than we think we are. I knew this year was one of endings and beginnings, one of abundance and creativity, one of backing off of some of my parenting ways and learning new ones as I let my oldest kid test his wings. I knew I was stepping into a new chapter this year. On my bedside table, I've kept a little card with five words on it. These were the words for 2023 that I wrote down back in January. What did I want to cultivate in 2023? What was I feeling drawn toward? Truth, alignment, integrity, equanimity, wholeness. Now, a couple of those, taken quite literally, would indicate that I was untruthful or lacking in integrity. I'm not using the words in that way. I think it's the alignment that I've been after. What does it look like when mind, body, and soul catch up and are in sync? What might my life look like if I were to cultivate the balance that allows for a steady mind and a calm spirit? I'm usually a word person, and friends and my therapist have told me to write. Write it all down, write it all out, and I've certainly done a whole lot of that. Thousands and thousands of words. But 
it has actually been a backwards process through feeling, then images with words coming last. I knew how I wanted to feel, and I can imagine how that might look. A space to write, long tables to entertain, more land, even just by a quarter of an acre, for vegetable gardens and a cut flower garden. Old rooms with books stacked high, time and energy and financial resources to travel. A designated place for hosting and caring for others. Simplicity and beauty. With all of that in mind, for most of the year, I have added images and words to this huge vision board. I've continued to ask myself what an aligned life might look like. What does standing in the fullness of my integrity feel like? What does it mean for the inside of who I am to match all the outside parts of my life? And only in the past two weeks have I begun to look at those images and realize that the images on that great big vision board sure do look a whole lot more like Macon, Georgia than they do New Orleans. This wasn't the plan. And it certainly wasn't in the realm of possibility for me that my husband would move there to get started on our new life while I'm living here in the old one as our son completes his senior year of high school. And all those months of hand-wringing and soul-searching, I never thought we were leaving this home. It's not a bad plan. It's just different than where my imagination had gone. So instead of going headfirst into launching a consulting and coaching and writing practice, it looks like I'm going to be a single mom for nine months and do some part-time work growing each of those professional areas, but only as I'm able. Nowhere was that even considered an option over the past year. I'd fully imagined a year minimum of hustling, and I was ready to do it. But here we are, somewhere a little bit different instead somewhere a lot different. Some of you might say this is a lesson in less worrying and more trusting, and I do hear that, but I still disagree. The process of my leaving church, whatever that ends up meaning and looking like, because I still don't fully know, it is separate from this next phase of moving and figuring out career. I had to reach the place of peace on my own, and could not be forced into it. And I'm so grateful I did. And now suddenly I find myself with the gift and luxury of some time and space to rest and parent and write while mindfully living out the months ahead. And it is a privilege. It is also a joy to watch my husband step into a space where he will absolutely thrive. The city of Macon has just gotten a kind, brilliant, creative workhorse who will tirelessly advocate for the good of that city and all of its neighbors, and it will never once cross his mind to take credit for any of it. If there is a lesson in all of this I want to share, it is focus on the next step before you, not the thousand steps ahead of you. I've put a pressure on myself to have a fully formed plan because our culture is so shaped by jobs, not just the necessity of money, but the identity of this is your job. This is your box. This is your space to fill. And so what if you want to opt out of that? What if you decide 
You'll pull together some hustles in three or five or even 10 different ways. It's terrifying to imagine, but it's really about the step right in front of you. And then the next one, and then the next one. If you're feeling boxed in and you don't want to be, what are the slow and steady steps out? As my friend David has said often over the past year, he's obnoxiously right about some things. If you don't make the choice to move forward, the universe will make it for you. Eventually, staying in an old life becomes unbearable, and the people and circumstances around you will keep changing until that old life, it really isn't even a thing anymore. But oh my word, consciously, consciously leaving an old life for an unknown new one is terrifying and crazy making. Who does this? I know many of you are at a crossroads too. I know many of you are in the liminal space of being certain it's time to walk into the new life, but having no idea how you're going to do it. The way forward feels nearly impossible to find. You truly, you don't even know what the first step is, much less the next thousand. And maybe you even think the first step isn't an option for you. You feel utterly and absolutely stuck and frozen. Well, I think about that practice therapists recommend for panic attacks. When you start to feel a panic attack coming on, acknowledge five things you see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. It's really questions about rooting you right into the same place where your body is, not just in your head, but your mind your body, your spirit, catching up with each other, getting you some room to breathe. What if we come up with some kind of version of that for liminal spaces? When we're in the place between already not where we were, but definitely not where we're going, how is it that you find yourself there? Are you standing with integrity there and how might you? Well, close your eyes and slow your breath. Place a hand on your heart and another one on your belly. Feel your breath rise and fall. Begin to imagine the place where you feel most fully yourself, or at least more fully yourself. And as you imagine that place, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like there? What does it smell like? What can you taste? Return to this practice and get more and more specific each time as you imagine the space where you come alive. And as you get clear, then you can ask, now what is the first step I can take toward that? I met my friend Allison for breakfast one day last week to catch up about all of these things and just chat about life in general. And she surprised me with a packet of poetry she had curated just for me, an amazing, perfect gift. She has certainly been through her own changes. That's her story to tell. She knows about in-between spaces and steps towards becoming. And I'm so grateful for the invitation to do the same that she has extended to me. I wonder what if we could all do that for each other? 
What if we could do that for each other over and over again, step into the fullness of who we are and invite the people we love to do the same? It's never a once and for all. Maybe we're lucky to get 30 minutes, but we keep stepping toward it and we keep inviting people to come along. Of all the poems she shared with me, I think the one I love the most right now is She Let Go by Reverend Sapphire Rose. And I'd like to share it with you and let it be our benediction for today. She let go. Without a thought or a word, she let go. She let go of fear. She let go of the judgments. She let go of the confluence of opinions swarming around her head. She let go of the committee of indecision within her. She let go of all the right reasons, wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry. She just let go. She didn't ask anyone for advice. She didn't read a book on how to let go. She didn't search the scriptures. She just let go. She let go of all the memories that held her back. She let go of all the anxiety that kept her from moving forward. She let go of the planning and all of the calculations about how to do it just right. She didn't promise to let go. She didn't journal about it. She didn't write the projected date in her calendar. She made no public announcement and put no ad in the paper. She didn't check the weather report or read her daily horoscope. She just let go. She didn't analyze whether she could let go. She didn't call her friends to discuss the matter. She didn't do a five-step spiritual mind treatment. She didn't call the prayer line. She didn't utter one word. She just let go. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked her or praised her. No one noticed a thing like a leaf Falling from a tree, she just let go. There was no effort. There was no struggle. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was what it was. And it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A small smile came over her face. A light breeze blew through her. And the sun and the moon shone forevermore.